the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There is a type of Christian that Satan actually appreciates. They don't do any good to the kingdom of God. But then there are Christians that Satan actually hates. So what type are you? We're exploring that question here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. It's a marvelous Sunday school hymn, but it rings true. Does your life really show it to the point that Satan actually hates you? Or are you nominal? Are you lukewarm? Are you going through motions? Is church nothing more than a form of networking? Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner today here on Abounding Grace as we continue our survey of Revelation. We're exploring this question, are you the kind of Christian that Satan hates? We're in Revelation chapter 12. Here's Pastor Gary with today's program. In Colossians chapter 2, Jesus, in the middle of that chapter, is speaking of his death on the cross. And in verse 15, he says this about his death on the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So here, Jesus' cross is described basically as his chariot, his triumphant chariot, that through his death on the cross, he disarmed rulers and authorities that were raised up against him, and he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. And in this context, he's talking about the cross. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we read, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless, not through the second coming, him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. So when does it say in that text that Jesus rendered Satan powerless? It was in his death on the cross. So Satan is no longer an invincible foe, an obstacle to the advance of the people of God. And those words rendered powerless mean destroyed. It's a powerful phrase. It's the same phrase that means perish. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish or be destroyed, but have everlasting life. So far as being a threat to the people of God is concerned, Satan's power was so greatly diminished in Christ's death. He so triumphed over him in his own death. So cast him down and cast him out that he is no longer a real threat to the faithful people of God in the advance of his kingdom. And what I've just tried to show you, beloved, is a way of interpreting scripture with scripture. 
that in this war, Satan was defeated in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to this great hymn of victory. I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority or the rule and kingdom of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses, present tense, them before our God and God day and night. So here Satan is described as the accuser of the brethren who still in the present makes accusations against the people of God. But they are the accusations of a defeated accuser. His accusations are not effective because of the death of Christ. This is the picture in heaven. You have Satan, the accuser, and Christ, the advocate. Satan stands before the throne of God and makes accusations against Christians. He says, you see Gary Wagner and what a terrible sinner he is. You should not accept him. You should damn him. But even though Satan is correct, and even though I am probably far worse than Satan knows, because remember, Satan doesn't read minds. Nevertheless, his accusations against me are absolutely ineffective because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, who now intercedes for me and is my advocate in heaven. And he stands before God and he says, Father, everything Satan says against Gary Wagner is certainly true. But don't look at Gary Wagner. Look at me. Look at what I did in my death on the cross in his place. Taking the punishment, his sins to serve. So now, Father, accept him because of me and the salvation I accomplished on his behalf. So even though Satan is stupid enough to try and make accusations against us, to turn God against us, they are not effective at all. Because Satan was conquered in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Satan's powers and claims on sinful men were broken by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. Satan is ruined as the accuser of the brethren. Because when Christ rendered satisfaction for our sin, Satan lost every semblance of justice for his accusations against believers. Since Satan's power is broken, his anti-Christian states do not have the final word, the final power, or the final victory. And what is the instrument by which Christ gets victory over the angels of Satan? Verse 10. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, that is the brethren, Christians, overcame him. Christ overcame him in his death, resurrection, and ascension that his faithful followers could overcome him in their daily lives as they seek to advance the kingdom of God because of three things from our text. Because of the blood of the Lamb, because the word of their testimony, and because they don't love their life even to death. So they are the kind of people that Christ uses to advance his kingdom and his victory over Satan and over Satan's armies in this world. 
bringing them to total collapse. We overcome Satan in our lives because of the blood of the Lamb. This is our foundation. This is the basis of our own overcoming. How can we get any victory over Satan, who in many ways has a greater strength than we have as human beings? How do we get the victory over him and his minions? It is because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago. And by our love for and belief in and application of the word of our testimony. The word of God to which we testify. And because we do not love our lives even to death. So that is the kind of people Jesus uses to overcome Satan and his influences and his institutions and his humanistic state and his instruments of persecution in this world. Those who believe that the death of Jesus Christ is the basis of Satan's defeat and for our salvation. Those who live courageously by the word of our testimony. And those whom our lives are secondary to the cause of God and His Christ are the ones who will overcome, beloved. There are some things that are worse than dying for the Christian. And you know that's why terrorism does not work in the life of the Christian. Terrorism as we know it today is relatively a new phenomenon. And it is because terror only works in cultures that have faced have, have lost their faith that they work. Terrorism only works in those cultures where most people believe there is nothing worse than dying and losing all of the things that you have amassed. In that type of culture, terrorism works. But terrorism does not work in a culture that is dominated by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Satan still has a limited measure of influence. I don't want to downplay that. I don't want you to think Satan is harmless. Verse 12, for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. In other words, he is powerful. He still has a measure of power, even though it has been greatly curtailed and restrained. But it is only for a short period of time. So his power, his influence is limited. He is a defeated foe. He's not someone you need to stay awake at night worrying about. But he is someone that you want to be on guard against. So you must stay close to Christ because you cannot handle Satan on your own. You don't want to play around with Satan and act cocky. And you must never leave the side of Jesus. We must do what James said in chapter 4 of his book, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You stay close to the Lord. You submit to him, and when you resist the devil, he will tuck tail and he will run because he is basically a coward. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion, although he certainly thinks he is. 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. So Satan is someone you can resist as long as you are living in subjection to God's will and staying near to him. Now, we come to the last picture here, verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman that gave birth to the child. Of course, that is the church, and he persecutes the church because he hates Jesus. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. What a beautiful picture this is. It is an Old Testament symbol from Exodus 19.4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Deuteronomy 32.11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carries them on his pinions or on his flight feathers. And here you see a picture of God and his awesome fatherly power being used to rescue this woman from the onslaught of the world. Now, let me give you a quote that is so ridiculous from this pseudo-commentary titled, There is a New World Coming, a Prophetic Odyssey by Hal Lindsey, who takes every word he says in the book of Revelation literally. Well, he actually doesn't, but that is what he says we are supposed to do. And hopefully I can keep from laughing, but here is what he says, the two wings of the great eagle represent. Two wings of the great eagle eagle are provided to fly the group of Jewish believers to a protective place in the wilderness. Many Bible scholars believe that this will be the natural fortress of Petra, the ancient city of the rock in the Jordanian wilderness south of the Dead Sea. Some kind of massive airlift will rapidly transport these fleeing Jews across the rugged terrain to their place of protection. And since the eagle is the national symbol of the United States, it is possible that the airlift will be made available by aircraft from the U.S. 6th Fleet in the Mediterranean. Beloved people actually believe this stuff. Well, so much for taking the book of Revelation literally, right? But the eagle's wings are a great symbol of God coming to the rescue of his people. Tender, almighty, fatherly care and protection of his assaulted people. And again, he takes care of them for three and a half years. The signature of temporary protection For the Lord's people in times of assault. But Satan continues assault. He doesn't stop. He's been defeated by Michael. And he continues to be overcome by those who believe in redemption by the blood of the Lamb. He knows Christ's salvation has come. He has been thrown down as the accuser of the brethren. He knows his time is short. So when the dragon saw that the... He was thrown down to earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that she might cause, he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. 
But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. I mean, my goodness, beloved, who needs an author like Stephen King when we've got Revelation, right? Here Satan is after this woman, the church, our mother, and he vomits out of his mouth this massive river to destroy her. But instead of destroying her, the earth drinks it all up. Now, does that have any symbolism other than just a figure to scare us as the readers? I think it does. Because what comes out of a person's mouth is what he speaks from what he thinks or from what comes from his heart. It is what represents him. And this flood is very possibly a flood of heresy and false doctrine and erroneous understanding of Scripture that you need only see much of that you not only see much of in the early church of the first, second, and third centuries, but on up to especially today where Satan continues to try and flood the church with heresy so as to destroy her and which we must always be aware of and diligently resist and learn to discern. But in the faithful people of God who love the blood of the Lamb, who love the word of his testimony and who do not love their lives unto death, the flood of false doctrine and heresy has no effect. The earth swallows it up. Now, have you noticed in this text the references to the wilderness and the earth coming to the rescue of the church? You see it expressed beautifully here in verse 16, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Creation and all of its resources and power come to the rescue of the church. That this creation, this world full of created things is something God has made and it is not our enemy, my friends. This is our universe. This is our inheritance. This is our earth. And we who are Christians should feel at home here. Our atmosphere is one of friendliness with God. It is the unbeliever who is out of place in this universe. It is the unbeliever against whom the energies and the powers of the earth work against. The energies of this creation work for us. Remember, the Red Sea parted and then it drowned the Egyptians. The sun stood still in the days of Joshua. God destroyed humanity with a flood except for his few faithful people. God uses the energies of creation for the protection and the nourishment of the church. We live in a creation we should love and respect. If there is anyone who should love and respect this environment, it is the Christian, not the greenies, not the ever-environmentalist. Christians should be at the forefront of respecting the environment because this physical, created environment in which we live is there to nourish us and help us and defend us. And then the chapter ends with a statement on Satan's stupid war. So, or after all this, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of the children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So here you see Satan's rage destroying him. His rage overwhelms him in a stupid war, for he has already been defeated. He knows that. 
We find on every hand a political, cultural, religious war. And because it is a war on all fronts against us, we as the rest of her children may not at any point lay down our arms and compromise with our enemy. Ever, ever. There's a certain kind of professed Christian that Satan hates and he wages war against. He does not wage war against any other kind of Christian. Verse 17. The dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children, which is us who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. You know, there are certain preachers and certain churches and certain Christians today that are of no threat, absolutely no threat whatsoever to Satan. Satan doesn't bother them. You know, they have these big churches. They have a lot of money. And Satan never bothers them. Because he's got them in his back pocket. The only people that Satan wages war against are those genuine Christians who keep and teach the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So if those two things describe you and our church, expect Satan to wage a stupid war against us. Beloved, we are threats to him. You know, there are certain kinds of preachers that will always be asked to pray at inaugurations of presidents and governors. And there are certain kind of preachers who will never be asked to pray at such events. The ones who pray at the inaugurations of presidents are those for whom Satan has no fear whatsoever. It is not how big or how rich these Christians and churches are that Satan fears. The people he fears, the people he knows who have the power to destroy him are those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimonies of Jesus. I want to tell you one story, and then I'm finished. Bob, you'll love this. Several years ago, I was given an audio tape from an organization in Southern California called the Humanist Society. I don't know where this tape is any longer. It was so long ago. But I will never forget the message. Because in closing, the speaker said something that was very interesting to me and actually a bit surprising. The speaker spoke articulately, bragging about all the accomplishments of the humanistic revolution. He even used war words, much like we do, and talked about the humanists being well down the road of victory and dechristianizing America and on the secularization of America and how close they were in winning over this culture. And then the tone of his voice changed from one of certainty to one of great concern. And he said, but there is a group in this country that not only has the power to bring our revolution to a halt but to undo everything we have done over the last 50 or 60 years and he said that is a little group a very dedicated very dedicated christian scattered all over the world called christian reconstructionists led by rj rush dooney man it took me by surprise He said they are the only ones in this country that have the power and determination to overthrow our revolution. 
Satan knows that, beloved. And that is why the people who Satan wages his stupid war against are those who love and keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimonies of Jesus. Amen. And that will bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 